The following message is by Dr. Cliff McManus, pastor-teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship, located in Mountain View, California. So let's go ahead and go to uh, James chapter 1, and follow along with me as I read verses 19 through 21. Uh, This you know, my beloved brethren, but let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. So that's the passage we're going to look at today. I wanted to zero in really on verse 19. This you know, my beloved brethren. Let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. This is one of those classic verses in Christianity, and maybe even beyond Christianity, that is so readily taken out of context. And Christians quote it, think about it, try to apply it without even considering the context in which it was written. And there are verses like that. Very common, I think, uh, judge not lest ye be judged. In Matthew 7, that's a common one, right? That people like to just kind of pull out and use it at their convenience and their discretion without, well, what did Jesus really mean in Matthew 7 when he said, judge ye not lest ye be judged. Another one we take out of context all the time. Wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in your midst. People, you know, frequently use that for prayer meetings. Let's pray, the two or three of us. And that's what Jesus was talking about. When actually in the context, it was talking about church discipline. So that's huge. And we need to be reminded of this, that uh, context determines everything when you're studying the Bible. Uh, In our Greek class, that was our last session we emphasized in Greek class uh, about how context is everything for a word, for a sentence, for a verse, for meaning. So we've got to stay within the context. Uh, Another one that's taken out of context all the time, um, a thousand years as, as a day unto the Lord. And then they'll spin it to their convenient meaning of what they think that says. We're out of Psalms. Or out of Peter. Or, probably the most common, God is love. Even the world quotes that one. People who aren't even Christians all the time. And what usually what they're saying by that is God is love and He's only love and He's not a God of wrath. Therefore, hell doesn't exist. So, that's what I mean by taking a verse out of context, ripping it out of its original meaning and assigning your own foisted subjective meaning to it instead of letting Scripture define it in its context. So, uh, I just read James 1, 19 through 21, and I didn't really read it in context. So now I want to go back and read it in context, because this verse uh, isn't just a proverb out of the blue that's disconnected with what came before it and what comes after, that generically just means uh, be slow to uh, speak, or quick to hear and slow to speak. That isn't it. It actually refers to something very specific. The interpretation, there's only one interpretation of any given scripture. Only one interpretation. Many applications, one interpretation. And the one interpretation that is correct of James chapter 1, very clear, it's in the context, uh, but there are many applications that flow from it. So we're going to go ahead and look at that. So I'm going to start actually and read again James 1.13 and the following as we read this verse, especially 19, in its context. So we know what James is talking about. The entire chapter up to this point has been about trials and temptations. That is the context. This verse is in the context of trials and temptations. And where is God in the midst of trials and temptations? And what is the effect of the Word of God and our attitude towards the Word of God in the midst of trials and temptations? That is the context. So starting at verse 13, 
James says, Let no one say when he is, is tempted that I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of His will, He brought us forth by the Word of Truth. Okay, the word, He's talking about the Word. The Word of Truth, the Word of God, for us, that is Scripture. Divine revelation. That is the context. God brought us forth by the Word of Truth, so that we might be, as it were, the first fruits among His creatures. Transition. Conjunction, taking us back to verse 18 in its context. Verse 19, this you know, brothers, this you know. What I just said was true about the Word of God. Now apply in a very practical way. So 18 goes with 19. This you know, my beloved brethren, but let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Quick, quick, quick to hear what? Quick to hear the Word of God that he just talked about. Quick to hear verses 1 through 18 that he just talked about. Quick to hear the rest of his epistle that he's talking about. Divine revelation. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word. Okay, there it is again. Verse 21, he's talking about the word of God. He's talking about the word of God in verse 18. He's talking about the word of God in verse 21. And right in the middle is this command to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. He's talking about Christians' attitudes towards the word of God or divine revelation whenever they hear it, read it, see it. What is your attitude towards the word of God? That's what he's getting at. Putting aside all filthiness, uh, receive, uh, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your soul, but prove yourselves doers of the word. See, there it is. Hear the word. Don't disregard the word. Don't be a critic of the word. Don't be a critic of the preacher of the word who is accurately teaching the word. Listen to it. Hear it. Own it. Apply it. Be a doer. That's the context. So we'll pick up on verse 22 and following next week about doing the word. Today we want to talk about hearing the word. And so by way of introduction, I said there, be quick to hear, slow to speak. James 1.19. What is your typical attitude when listening to the weekly sermon? Ooh, there's a challenging question. Don't answer out loud, please. You'll hurt my feelings. But this is true at any sermon. You hear a sermon on the radio. You hear a sermon on a CD. You're at a conference. You hear a sermon. You go to a Bible study. You listen to their sermon. You go to a Sunday school class. You hear their sermon. This isn't just Sunday, pastor dude preaching. I'm talking about any time you hear the Word of God presented. What is your attitude, Christian? That's what James wants to get at. What is your typical attitude when listening to the weekly sermon? Is it critical? Some people are like that. Looking always for the smallest nuanced flaw in the delivery by the human agent? Or are you humble and teachable, enthusiastically welcoming the truth of the Word as it is taught? That is is what James is addressing here. By the way, he had a very knowledgeable crowd he's dealing with. These people were rooted and taught and educated in the Old Testament from the time they were young till now they're adults. Fifteen years of a Christian life they have under their belt probably witnessed Jesus' ministry firsthand and the apostles. They were a highly educated group of people in terms of divine revelation, the Old Testament, and even the apostolic doctrine. They've got a lot of head knowledge that's why they need this reminder and this exhortation. And this is good for us, isn't it? In this day and age and high technology and great access to information and education and uh, here in the Silicon Valley and even the demographic of our church, highly knowledgeable of the Word of God. This is a great reminder and challenge for us. What is our attitude when we hear the Word of God taught? 
So that's why I call this how to listen to a sermon. How to listen to a sermon. And you can apply how to listen to a Bible study. How to interact with somebody else that's teaching the Bible. So you just apply it wherever it fits. That is the context. And if there are any critics who question that that's really the meaning of the text, uh, number one, you just missed verse 18 and 21 because that's the context. But also, So I thumbed through about 25 commentaries on James. They pretty much all said the same thing. As a matter of fact, this was kind of the heading of one of the commentaries, how to listen to a sermon. I thought that was great, very appropriate and practical. So this is a great time to evaluate ourselves and our attitude towards the truth of the Word of God whenever we see it taught, hear it delivered. Great reminders from James. James has a way of just kind of, boom, right between the eyes, doesn't he? And here's a perfect scenario of that. So five things I want to glean from this passage here about having the right attitude about receiving the Word of God when we hear it taught. So let's go to point number one, and that's in verse 19a, uh, where again, this you know. This is like, this should be second nature. But i got to remind you, because we so quickly forget, don't we? My beloved brethren. And here he's being pastoral. My beloved brethren. My fellow, he probably knew many of these people. This, these were his former sheep. He could have, these probably, many of these people were at the church in Jerusalem where James was the leader. So there's a personal, intimate connection. These are his beloved friends, his sheep. I just love this pastoral uh, comment here because it's not just intellectual knowledge he's imparting with the rebuke. It's you know based on our trust and our personal relationship and the fact that you were at my church and I was your pastor and you were great saints and we had a relationship together and we have trust for one another and you know that God appointed me in this place of leadership and even as a... Uh, a writer of Scripture carried along by the Spirit of God to give you divine truth, my beloved brethren, fellow believer. I love you. I love you. That's what he's saying. My beloved brethren. This little phrase just struck me that as I've read the Book of Mormon, which I have many times even taught on it as a Christian, and also the Quran, which I've read several times, you don't have these personal, intimate, sweet, pastoral phrases that come up spontaneously. That's kind of a distinctive of the New Testament, that personal touch. And that's what James is doing here. He cares for these people. And then he goes into the reminder and the exhortation, but let everyone, okay, let everyone, you're not exempt. This is for every Christian. doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. Maybe you're a new Christian. You're still, exempt, you're still responsible for hearing the Word of God, submitting to it. And even you Christians that have been Christians for 30 years or 20 years, or even you guys that went to seminary, maybe you've taken a Greek class. This is still for you. And James is even speaking to himself. This is every Christian is accountable for this. There are no excuses. Be quick to hear, quick to hear, quick to hear, quick to listen. But I've got ADD. doesn't matter. Quick to hear. There are no excuses. This is a binding imperative for all believers given by God. So point number one, I just said there to summarize it, growing Christians are teachable students that's the word that's the word disciple jesus called people to be his disciple be my disciple be a student be teachable listen he who has an ear let him hear what the spirit says he who has an ear jesus said that frequently he who has an ear are you willing to listen to truth so growing christians are teachable the reason and i put growing christians growing christians five times why did i do that well if you got your bible you can flip just the next book over to first peter after james Uh, the reason I put uh, this is a mark of a growing Christian is a humble, enthusiastic, receptive attitude to the truth of the Bible 
is a mark of a growing Christian, according to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. Peter the Apostle, listen to this. Therefore, putting aside all malice, put aside your division, your bad attitude, your critical spirit, and everything else goes with it, your lack of humility, put it aside, put it aside. All guile, your hypocrisy, your envy, your gossip and slander behind people behind their back in the church. And contrary to doing that, verse 2, like newborn babes. What do new babies want? One thing, milk. Gimme, 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 milk, 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 right? They just long for it. They thrive on it. It feeds them. It nurtures them. And that's what a Christian should be like regarding the Word of God. Like newborn babes who hunger and thirst for righteousness, long desire the pure milk of the Word, of truth. Do you desire truth, God's truth? The Bible, Scripture? If you're a Christian, you should. Long for it. Desire the pure milk of the Word in order that by it you may grow in respect to your salvation. See, this is how we grow in sanctification. This is how we grow in spiritual maturity throughout the course of our life after we get saved is we have to grow. We're expected to grow. God wants us to grow. God will discipline us to ensure that we grow. But we can have no spiritual growth whatsoever without a regular intake of the truth of the Word of God, regardless of how you get it. Through a preacher, Bible study, the sermon, wherever, your own devotions, all of it. This is essential to biblical growth. So if you feel kind of dry and "Mm, I haven't grown a whole lot, "Mm," check your attitude about your relation to the Word of God. The intake, the regularity of the intake, and then your attitude about the intake. And and the promise from Peter is if you have a regular, healthy uh, intake of the Word of God, God is going to make you grow. He's going to help you grow. You're going to be nurtured. All the spiritual nutrients and vitamins that we need to grow in the sanctification process. So... Hence, my statement there, growing Christians are typified by the following lifestyle and behavior. They have a teachable spirit. And that's point number one. And that's really what let let everyone be quick to hear means. Be quick to hear. Well, what does that really mean, be quick to hear? Well, one thing we need to keep in mind, when James was writing in, say, 49 A.D., Jesus has been risen and ascended for about 15, 16 years, Uh, They haven't had one New Testament book written yet because James was the first book written. So when these Christians go to church, they don't come bringing their uh, leather-bound full 66 books of the Bible and their pen and their or their little electronic gizmo that I don't have that has the Bible on there so they can read the Bible. So when James was having church with the saints, virtually none of them had anything written of the New Testament. And then whoever the teacher was, maybe he had one epistle or two, or maybe he got a gospel, or maybe he's got a couple, or maybe it was James himself and it's what he has written. And then he is the only one that's actually reading something. So he's reading the Scriptures, and everybody in the audience is first and foremost accountable for listening and hearing. Because they're not reading it. So you've got to put it in context. What does it mean? What was James talking about? Hear. First hear it. And in their day, boy, the, the believers in those days, they were amazing. They're, they're, they didn't have photographic memories, but, it be, but listening was so routine, so natural, so second nature, it was like they had a photographic memory, every single one of them. They listened carefully. They were detailed in hearing, in listening, in the art of paying attention and being attentive. Because that's how they had to thrive on the Word of God. And they hungered for it. Scripture written down was so rare. Just a treasure. The man of God got up to read the Word of God. And it was revered. Not the man, but the Word of God being dispensed. What's our attitude like? 
Uh, look at James 1, or Revelation 1, 3. I want you to see this because this kind of puts a, a historical context on it that maybe you haven't thought much about or maybe you forgot. Uh, in Revelation 1, 3, there's this beautiful promise, one of seven promises in Revelation to bless certain people. And in Revelation uh, chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Blessed is he who reads. Now notice, he is singular. So one person, the reader. So there is one reader who had access to the Scripture. So there's one reader, but there's a whole bunch of listeners. And that's reflected in this verse. Blessed is he who reads. Blessed is the one who reads and does it faithfully and accurately. It's like Ezra. He was the reader in the Old Testament with his saints. They didn't all have access to what Ezra had. Ezra was the reader. He brought the book of the law. He's the one that possessed it. He was the caretaker of it. He had the key. He was the reader. Blessed is the one who reads. And also are blessed those who hear the words of the prophecy being read by the reader. That's what that's talking about. you got one reader, many listeners. And that's what was going on in James' day. When there was no New Testament book written, this was it. This was the first. You had a reader and everybody else was listening. And that's why he says, This you know, my beloved brethren, but let every one, every believer be quick to hear. The fact that he says quick, that means make it a priority. Listening is the priority. Listening comes first. Then speaking comes later. That's how we learn. To, to learn anything, I don't care what it is. If it's a new sport, something in technology, uh, something spiritual in the Word of God, the first thing you need to do is to be a listener. That's talking about intake. You are hearing it. To, to hear means to willingly hear it, to listen to it, to be attentive, to listen with spiritual ears, to comprehend it, to welcome it, to assimilate it, to think through it, to prayerfully consider it first before you say anything. That's being a hearer. That's why Jesus would say, I mean, everybody in the audience was going to listen to him, but he said specifically and selectively, he who has an ear, let him hear. Because he knew there were people in the audience who had a hard heart, who were critics, had a critical spirit, who were judgmental, who were going to utterly disregard what he had to say. And that's why he was being very specific and selective. Those who have an ear, those who truly want to hear the words of God, listen, be quick to hear. So the first thing you do when you're taking knowledge or you want to learn spiritually is to listen first and listen to the truth of God's word. Speak later, if at all. Hear first, speak later. Seek first to understand, then to be understood. Some people think that Stephen Covey made that up. In Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, he didn't. He stole it from the Bible. Because that's exactly what this says. Seek first to understand. Listen to the Word of God. Hear it. To hear and that's being a deliberate listener, a careful listener, like I said, an attentive listener, comprehending. You know what also to hear means? It means to believe it. You heard the truth of the Word of God, do you believe it? And by belief, you share the hearty amen. It's kind of interesting. We're going to read a scripture here where there's the public amen. And let's go there right now. I want to show you some folks who understood what it meant to be quick to hear the Word of God. It's a great story in the Old Testament. So go to, if you open your Bible, like to the middle, this is what I was taught. So about the middle, you should go, boom, okay, there's Psalms. Ooh, it worked. Right in the middle. And then just before Psalms, a couple of books, you've got Nehemiah. Ezra, Nehemiah, and then just before Job and Psalms. So I want you to go to the book of Nehemiah, just before Psalms and Job. Uh, go to Nehemiah chapter 8. 
Okay, so here's Ezra, living in around 450 B.C. He's been living in uh, Babylon with a bunch of pagans. And the Jews who have been in captivity in Babylon, they've been waiting for 70 years, according to the book of Jeremiah, to go back to the promised land, to be in the covenant land, to see the temple rebuild. Ezra leads the charge. He leads a group, leads a group of people over there. Hundreds of people go with Ezra. Ezra is a priest. He's a scribe. He's a master teacher of the Old Testament. Probably hasn't memorized. I was talking to a gentleman last week who's a professor of Hebrew, studied at Union Theological Seminary, and he studied Hebrew. And he said all of his professors uh, were pagan. They weren't Christians. Uh, some of them were Jews. Some of them were just secular Jews, but they were all Jewish, and they were professors of Hebrew. And he said every single one of his professors, Old Testament professors, had the entire Old Testament memorized in Hebrew. And much of their... Jewish uh, Talmud and everything else that goes with it. It just blew him away. He said, we are pathetic here in America. <laughs> so here's Ezra. He was a master of the Old Testament. Uh, look at Ezra chapter 1. And so just watch as the people, their attitude, how they're quick to hear. And just their response to the Word of God as it's read. The response just to the reading of the Bible, let alone the application. The profound delivery with all the bells and whistles that we, we expect nowadays. It doesn't say anything. Scripture is absolutely silent on the delivery. Notice that. It's the content that matters. So look at uh, chapter 8, verse 1. And all the, so here they've uh, traveled 500 miles. They are now in the promised land. Nehemiah came over. He's helping Ezra. And we're looking at about 444 B.C. Uh, there was a shortage of the Word of God. Even the scripture, the Old Testament scripture, and all the people gathered. This is hundreds and hundreds of people. All the people gathered as one man. They were with one mind, one heart. They had one goal. We want to hear the word of God today. How refreshing is that? As one man at the square, which was in front of the uh, water gate, and they asked, they asked Ezra the scribe. They knew he had the book. They asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law. That's probably the entire oh, part of the section of the Old Testament that Moses wrote, the Pentateuch, the first five books, the law of Moses. And they asked Ezra, Ezra, can, you, can we do a Bible study? Yeah, what verse would you like to look at? Well, the first five books of the Bible. Okay, we'll do that for the next five years. No, let's do it all today. Well, that's what they did. And they asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. And then Ezra the priest brought the law or the, the word of God, the scriptures, biblical truth, before the assembly of, note, note, men, women, and all who could listen with understanding. That's even young children who could comprehend it. Didn't have children's church that Sunday. Although the babies were in the nursery, they couldn't hear with understanding. On the first day of the seventh month, verse 3, and Ezra, get this, he read from it. He just started reading. They were overwhelmed. He read from it before the square, which was in front of the water gate. Get this, from early morning until midday. He read it for four hours. And I only get to preach for 49 minutes. Four hours, midday. In the presence of men, women, and those who could understand. And I love this at the end of verse 3. And all the people were attentive to the book. Careful, willing listeners of the truth of the Word of God. That's what James is talking about. Are we attentive? Attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood at a wooden podium, like this one, probably bigger, which was made for the very purpose then at verse 5 it says, Ezra opened the book inside of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. What great reverence. They do that in Russia when I, or in Kiev in the Ukraine. Every time I would read the Word of God, man, we're going to stand up in reverence for the Word of God. That's what they did. Uh, verse 6, then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen. See, there it is. Amen. Yes, it is so. We love the Word of God. 
Amen and amen while lifting up their hands. They were charismatic. Then they bowed low and they worshipped. They were Presbyterian. The Lord with their faces to the ground. Notice their responses to the truth of the Bible. Verse, uh, the end of verse 7. Ezra and the Levites, they, they explained the law. See, they read it and then they had to explain it because many of them were raised in Babylon and only had Persian as their native language and didn't know Hebrew. Explain the law to the people while the people remained in their place and they read from the book, from the law of God, translating to give the sense. See, they had to explain it. They had to interpret it. They had to explain it, what it meant, so that the people understood the reading. See, they heard it audibly, but they also heard it with their heart. They heard with understanding. Then Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to the people, this day is holy, so that you go through a four-hour sermon, and then what do you do? You go to a fellowship meal. That's the middle of verse 9. This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. Isn't that awesome? The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces human hearts and the conscience, doesn't it? You get all kinds of reactions. Verse 10, Then he said to them, Go, eat of the fat, drink of the sweet, send portions to him who has nothing prepared, for this day is holy to your Lord. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Verse 11, So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went away to eat, to drink, to send portions, to celebrate the great festival, because, here it is, they understood the words. They heard the word of God, which had been made known to them. Go ahead and go back to James chapter 1. What a great example of some dear saints giving a perfect model of what it means to be quick to hear. Notice it didn't say anything about what they thought. Or like I said, the delivery, the only thing they said was amen. Amen and amen to that. So growing Christians are teachable students of the Word of God and first they are quick to hear. Uh, let's go on to number two. Growing Christians are reflective listeners. Reflective listeners. Okay, Christian, be quick to hear and slow to speak. It's not just slow to speak at the dinner table. This is slow to speak in response to the teaching of the Word of God. That is the context. That's what he's talking about. You know, that's a challenge for us in this day and age, isn't it? With the, our computers and the technology and everybody and their uncle's got a blog. They want to tell the whole world what they think and all about them, Right? It's all on Facebook. You just lay your whole life out there and what you think about everything under the sun. That's, where, that's the age in which we live. Everybody's got an opinion and their opinion is authoritative to them. Which is the exact opposite of Proverbs when it says even a silent person comes across as a wise person. And here Scripture says be slow to speak. And be slow to speak especially when you've got a comment about the Word of God and especially in response to hearing it and especially if you are wrong and critical and have the wrong attitude. Quick to hear the Word of God. Be slow to speak and slow to criticize the Word of God. That's what he's saying. Christians can do that. 1 Corinthians 8.1 tells us knowledge puffs up. You know what that means? When Christians get knowledge and they take in knowledge and they study the Bible and they study scriptures, because we are sinful, because we are human, we are prone to pride. As we get knowledge can be actually a dangerous thing. That was the first thing I told the Greek students in the Greek class. You're going to learn a little bit of Greek, but that can actually be real dangerous because now you think you know just a little bit and we can get puffed up very quickly and say, oh, I took Greek. And it's like, whoa, it doesn't work that way. So remember, knowledge puffs up. It makes us arrogant. So this is a great warning. Be slow to speak when you hear the Word of God taught. 
What does this mean, slow to speak, in relation to the Word of God? Well, a couple things. Uh, first of all, this is a command. Another thing, slow to speak, it means don't be flippant. Some people are flippant. Fly by the seat of their pants, make comments they haven't really thought about, they haven't meditated on it, they haven't prayed about it, they haven't sought counsel about it. And you go up to the preacher man or the Bible study teacher and you just get them in a corner and just lay into them and you ream them with your checklist of 14 things they did wrong. And thinking, wow, a flippant critic. Has the flippant critic spent 5 to 20 hours of study and prayer over the last couple of weeks, maybe a couple of months, that the preacher has that warrants such a response? So that's just a good reminder. Don't be flippant uh, or reactionary. Be, in contrast to that, be meditative. Be prayerful about what you hear. Quick to hear, slow to speak. You hear something, uh, you know, if anybody's worth their salt preaching the Bible or teaching the Bible, you're always going to be confronted with something in Scripture that jolts you, either in a good or a bad way, right? Because the Word of God is living and active. That's what it does. It creates a response in us. We want to react in response to the Word of God. God wants us to respond to the Word of God, but in the right way, right? So that's just natural. We have to restrain our responses and wonder, why am I so angry? Why am I so critical at this message or this sermon or this Bible study message? Why am I so confused? Why am I so threatened? Why am I so uncomfortable? Why, why do I have goosebumps and I am so blessed by what I heard today? That's the opportunity to reflect. And that's Joshua 1.8. Meditate on the Word of God. Meditate, that means like a cow, you chew it, get it comprehensively. Okay, I got the contents. I, okay, that's what they said. Then you swallow it, and then you regurgitate it up again, and you chew it again, because that's what cows do. And you get more out of it, and then you swallow it, and you chew it again. That's what the word meditate means. That's what you're doing. So this is a process, meditating day and night. Uh, so that's being a good listener, and that's not reacting, being quick to speak, being quick to criticize. Uh, there, we have many self-appointed Christian homiletical Siskel and Eberts in the Christian world today. Uh, pfft, yeah, oh, yay, two thumbs up, two thumbs down. I give it a nine, I give it a six, I give it a seven, I give it a two. You know where this is the worst is at your typical, at least my experience, at seminary. And I, I like seminary, I teach at a seminary, I went to a couple of seminaries. Uh, but it's true, you've got all these young, budding theologians who have great dreams and aspirations and they're taking in all this information and all this theology and they're on intake theology overload and they are the worst critics in the world of whoever the preacher was each week in chapel. That ch I felt sorry for the chapel speaker because he would just get eviscerated by all the seminary students at break time. Oh, that was pathetic. And Dr. Thomas said this and that loser said this. And it's just on and on. And I remember when I was in seminary, one of my favorite professors, he was like the oldest seminary professor there. He was revered and respected by all. He was Johnny Mack's seminary professor. So everybody just respected this man, a humble man, godly man. And he, he just had it up to here uh, with these cocky, arrogant, critical seminary students one time. And we had about 42 guys in our class. And he just basically rebuked all of us. He said, when you... When somebody stands up to open the Word of God, you should be ready to learn anything, who, regardless of who that man is that, that is up there preaching, even if it's just reading along while he's teaching. And so he encouraged all of us to take notes, write it down. What truth can you take away from the Word of God today? And he's just basically telling us your focus is wrong if you're putting your focus on the messenger and the deliverer instead of the content of the message delivered. It was a great rebuke. Never forgot it my first semester of seminary. Because that was a highly critical atmosphere. Everybody's a mini-expert in seminary. Anyway, uh, look at Acts 17. 
Here's another great illustration of people who listen to the Word of God the right way. Actually, there's two groups of people. People who didn't listen the right way and then those who listened the right way. Uh, some that were slow to speak, other, and they were deliberative, they were meditative, they were reflective on the truth that was being taught, and then others uh, who were quick to speak up, to be critical. And it's just a beautiful contrast. In Acts 17, the Apostle Paul, one of his missionary journeys, going town to town, the strategy was to go into the synagogues where he was a rabbi and he could preach, and also evangelize at the same time. So you got two groups of people. He goes to two cities, first Thessalonica, who were uh, not people for the most part, uh, slow to hear. I mean, quick to hear and slow to speak. They were quick to speak and quick to criticize and quick to throw rocks, literally, and chase you out of town. Contrasted with the Bereans, starting in verse 10. Let's read it. Now, uh, so he goes to Thessalonica, starting at verse 2, and according to Paul's custom, he went to them and for three, in the synagogue for three Sabbaths, reasoned with them from the Scripture. So he's teaching the Bible. Verse 3, explaining and giving evidence. So the emphasis is on the content delivered, not his delivery. If you're hung up with delivery, by the way, the Apostle Paul, he was ugly. We know that from Scripture. He, he had defects about him. And the Corinthians made fun of him at times. And some of his critics. The emphasis here is on the content of what Paul preached. Verse 3, explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead saying, this Jesus whom I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded. Some! See, that was the minority. Some were persuaded. Joined Paul and Silas along with a great multitude. Uh, verse 5. But the Jews, okay, this is a whole bunch of people there who heard who were not persuaded. They didn't care what Paul had to say. They were critics. They were ready to speak up. And they did. They, they formed gossip groups. They were becoming jealous, verse 5, taking along, uh, along some wicked men from the marketplace. They formed a mob, set the city in an uproar. Coming upon the house of Jason, they were seeking to bring them out to the people. Verse 6, and when they did not find them, they began dragging Jason and some brethren before the city authorities, shouting. So they're persecuting these Christians. These men who have upset the world have come here also, and Jason has welcomed them. And they all act contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. Verse 8, and they stirred up the crowd and the city authorities who heard these things. Verse 9, and when they had received a pledge from Jason and the others, they released them. And they're looking for Paul because they want his head. They were not quick to hear the word of God. Paul runs out of town, goes to the next city. Uh, this city is totally different than here. This is filled with a whole bunch of people who are quick to hear and slow to speak. Verse 10, And the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. And Paul keeps, he just continues preaching and teaching to these new group of people. Verse 11, Now these, the Bereans, were more noble-minded. They had a better attitude about God's Word than the Thessalonians. That's what it means. Noble-minded. It's all in their attitude, their heart. They weren't as proud and arrogant or critical. They were no, uh, more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica. And here it is. Why? Verse 11. For they received the word. That is the exact same word used by James we're going to see later in the verse. To receive the implanted word. They welcomed the word. They embraced the word. They wanted the word. They heard it willingly. They received the word with great eagerness, great enthusiasm. Not only did they receive it, examining the scriptures daily. See, that's that reflective, meditative process after you hear the truth before you speak up before you come to a conclusion and render a verdict too soon and circumvents what God has delivered through the truth. They were examining the Scriptures daily, being reflective. A reflective, teachable listener. That's awesome. Growing Christians are reflective listeners. 
Uh, let's go on to number three. Uh, growing Christians are not hypercritical. Growing Christians are not hypercritical. So a growing Christian, first, is an enthusiastic or a listener to the Word of God, he is slow to critique the truth of the Word of God. And sometimes what inhibits your good listening is the sin you have inside. It's in your heart. It could be a root of bitterness. It could be anger. It could be a grudge. It could be something you're holding on to. And that's really what's inhibiting the Word of God. It's messing up your frequency as a receiver of the Word of God. And that's why that's there at the end of verse 19. It's kind of strange that anger would be thrown in there. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and then slow to anger. What's up with that? I'm not angry. I'm just a professional critic. It's my spiritual gift. No, you're angry, brother. Examine your heart. Examine your attitude. Check your pride. Do self-evaluation. Your anger is bad. Your anger is circumventing the process of God wanting you to grow through the truth of the Word of God. Verse 20, the anger of man. Human anger does not achieve the righteousness of God. Human anger is not legitimate. As a matter of fact, he, calls, he goes on to call this anger, bitter attitude, filthiness. Verse 21, it's sinful. If you've got a wrong attitude towards the Word of God, whenever it's taught and towards the preacher of the Word of God, your attitude is filthy. Or our attitude is filthy. We've all done it. We've all been guilty, right? It's easy to be critical. It's easy to be an armchair quarterback. We must admit that. Especially when you're a preacher, it's incredibly easy. That's a huge challenge for me and fellow preachers that I know and pastors. Because you've got supposedly your own standard and a higher standard and things you're looking for. This is a tremendously challenging message for me. How humble am I? How willing am I to receive truth regardless of where it's coming from? Therefore, putting aside all this filthiness of your bad attitude and that which remains of wickedness. Um, so we've got to check if we've got an angry, bitter root somewhere. And the key to being a good, receptive listener of God's truth is to be uh, not critical. Let everyone be slow to anger. And you might ask, well, why are people... Uh, why would people be angry when they're listening to the Word of God? And why would be, Does that really happen? And I think, man, over 20 years of counseling with people, this happens all the time. So this makes so much sense to me as a pastor and as a counselor. When do people get so bitter, so angry, sometimes they don't even let it show, that they don't even want to listen to the Word of God, they don't want to embrace the Word of God, they want to justify away the Word of God. When is that? Well, many times it's when people are in the midst of huge trials or when they are dealing with temptations that are overwhelming them. That is routine. It happens all the time. I give you example after example after example of uh, counseling sessions where believers, Christians, uh, I could think of in previous churches, I won't say from this church, previous churches where I'd be counseling a man and wife who were Christians, and they were, and they were mad at each other, and they were even considering separation, and they come see the pastor, and one of them usually is angrier than the other one, and then you show them, that, do you believe in the Bible? Yes. Uh, will you submit to the Scripture? Yes. Is it the only authority? Yes. Okay, well, from what I understand, you're not really honoring and submitting to your husband. He doesn't deserve my respect. I mean, I've heard that time and time again from Christian wives. See, that is, they heard the Word of God, they know what it says intellectually, and yet they categorically dismiss it. He doesn't deserve my And I've heard husbands do the same thing. Christian husbands about their wives. Okay, you're supposed to be the provider ahead. Do you believe in the Bible? Yes, I do. And do you believe, then do you believe that God said in the Old Testament that He hates divorce? Yes, I do. And that there are only limited conditions under which you would be divorced, and that hasn't happened in your marriage. Do you believe that? Yes, I do. But you still want a divorce? Yes, I do. Wow! Man, this brother is hard. Categorically dismisses in obeying the Word of God that he knows intellectually is true. So I've seen this over and over again, and so it totally makes sense to me when it says that. That they're 
boy, an, an inhibitor is a bitter attitude, among other things. Hold on to something. So this is very practical from James' point of view. He knows he was a pastor. He probably, oh, by the way, he knows this from personal experience because he was one of the critics when Jesus was preaching, right? He was not a follower of Jesus. He may be an, one of the guys in John 8 when Jesus was preaching and the, the critic click out in the audience, you know, they didn't like a point in Jesus' outline and they'd say things like, uh, they wouldn't question the interpretation. They'd say, you have a demon. You don't have a daddy. John hate seriously. James very well could have been around listening to this and apparently didn't voice up and try to protect his brother. As a matter of fact, he was not a believer. So James understands firsthand what it means to be critical and hypercritical. And in John chapter 7, James is hypercritical of Jesus, his ministry, his teaching, everything about him. And James knew that was wrong. So growing Christians are not hypercritical. So we've got to check our hearts, evaluate ourselves, don't we? Why would people be hypercritical? Why would they get angry uh, by their responses to Scripture? Here are some reasons why people get bitter or react negatively out of bitterness, angry, a critical attitude when they hear the Word of God. It's because, for many reasons. They could be convicted by what they hear. Uh, they could be threatened by the Word of God and what they hear. So they're convicted. They are threatened. Oh, they were made uncomfortable. Oh, here's one. Their ears weren't tickled. Second Timothy tells us. Critical of the content, critical of the delivery. That's what drives that. I remember when I was in college. I I will never forget these two times. Uh, Brand new Christian. I think I was a sophomore, Santa Barbara. Uh, I was just getting exposed to Bible teachers because I didn't grow up in the church. This Chuck Swindoll guy and this John MacArthur guy and this several other good Bible teachers. So I started listening to their tapes and really enjoying them. And then I had a friend in college uh, who said that uh, they told me they didn't like John MacArthur. I was like, whoa. Why not? And they, this is what they told me. Well, he's he's too dogmatic. That's all they can say. Too dogmatic. Yeah. So what's wrong with that? I mean, uh, if it's I am the way, the truth, and life. No one gets to the Father except through me. That's pretty dogmatic. Two plus two is four. It's not five. I'm going to be dogmatic about that. That that's all you got. We if we believe in the sufficiency of Scripture. And we want to proclaim the words of Jesus, and Jesus is dogmatic in a certain passage, then the preacher needs to be dogmatic and preach with authority. Because delegated authority from God, we're preaching the divine binding truth of the Word of God. I'll never forget that. He's too dogmatic. And then I, at the same time, there was a youth pastor I know, and he said the same thing. He told me, I don't care for MacArthur. I said, Really? Why is that? And here's what he said, and I quote He seems to have all the answers. That was it. I was like, wow, I thought that's like what you want in a pastor. He seems to have all the answers. It's like if you believe in the sufficiency of Scripture, the Bible does have all the answers. And if you've got a pastor, hopefully he's done some homework and found the answers for you. So he has, every pastor should have all the answers. Even if the answer is, I don't know. Or Deuteronomy 29.29 says, the secret things belong to the Lord and nobody knows. That's an answer, isn't it? Sufficient. Well, he seems to have all the answers. Uh, the reason I brought those up is because I never, that's like 25, 26 years ago. I never forgot it. Shallow, superficial, judgmental, critical criticisms. And many times we dismiss the guy preaching because we don't like the content of what he said. Right? Because it's easy to find flaws in the human messenger. We really didn't like the divine message, but I'm going to pick on the human messenger and that way I can do an end around and disregard the truth of the word that I, of God that I just heard. So in terms of a critical spirit, another thing that we need to be uh, 
careful of in the Christian church and in very biblical churches is, is having little cliques. Uh, and that's part of being criticism. I am, of, like Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12.1, there were factions in the Corinthian church. And one faction said, I am of Paul. I am of Apollos. I am of Jesus. I am of... We do that, don't we? I am of Piper. I am of Swindle. I am of MacArthur. I am of CJ. I am of Sproul. I am of... Well, nobody said McManus. Oh, that's probably a good thing. <laughs> Hypercritical. That's what's playing in here. So, growing Christians are teachable students, reflective listeners... They are not hypercritical. Number four, growing Christians have humble attitudes. See, that's the key right there. That is the key to the bitterness. That is the key to the um, circumventing the learning process. That is the key to the anger. That is the key to uh, having the puffed up head. You know, we can be, every single one of us is always learning, aren't we? The rest of our life. I need people to teach me the Bible. And sometimes God uses my own family members to do it. No, frequently. And they major on application of the Bible for me. So everybody needs to be taught and is in the learning process. And the key here is humility. James is going to go on and say that God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. And so James, uh, he goes on. Uh, Verse 21, Therefore, putting aside all this muck in your heart that messes up the learning process as you as a receiver of the Word of God, key is, middle of verse 21, in humility, with a humble spirit, a humble attitude, receive the Word implanted. You can't receive spiritual truth if you've got a problem with humility. If you've got a problem with pride, what is humility? Humility is the opposite of pride. What is humility? Humility is a very high, exalted view of God and an accurate view of self which should be very low. Because an accurate view of self says, I am a sinner, I am needy, and I need God's grace. In addition to that, it's a servant's attitude towards others. That's humility. High view of God, servant attitude towards other people, an accurate view of self that says, I am needy, lowly, sinful. That's the kind of attitude we need about ourselves. This is the opposite of being puffed up with pride in 1 Corinthians 8.1, being a know-it-all. In humility, receive the Word of God. Receive the Word of God. Receive the Word of God. Welcome the Word of God in your heart like the Bereans. Same word used. They received the Word of God. They welcomed it into their heart as Paul says in Colossians. Let it live at home in your heart all your days as a Christian so that you may grow thereby, said Peter. Receive the Word of God in humility. Man, a lack of humility will just put on the blinders. It will make your ears deaf and your eyes blind. That's why Jesus said, Ears have they hear not, eyes have they and they see not. Why? Because it was pride. So we've got to guard against pride. And be reminded to be humble. God opposes the proud gives grace to the humble. So are you willing to learn from anyone? Part of being uh, humble is also being submissive to the Word of God. Submit to those, you know, as a pastor and a Bible teacher and a counselor, the, the most refreshing people to counsel are the people that have submissive attitudes to the truth of the Word of God. I mean, there's nothing like it. They got a problem, you go in, they tell you your problem, they ask questions, you show them in the Bible where it is, and they say, oh, okay, and then they actually go out and do it. That happens all the time, by the way. And that is so refreshing. It's like, wow. And then that saint is encouraged because they know that the Bible is sufficient. God is real. I heard the truth of the Bible. I applied it and it worked. Imagine that. That is awesome. Receive the Word implanted with humility. So we've got to do a self-evaluation, don't we? Examine yourself, says Paul. Examine our hearts. 
the sin that so easily entangles us. It's one of the sins that so easily entangles us is pride, right? It's one of the main, easiest, worst sins. It's all around us. It's everywhere. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, boastful pride of life. So, great reminder. Thank you, James. Growing, growing Christians need to have humble attitudes and be receptive to the Word of God. And then finally, number five, growing Christians need to enthusiastically embrace truth. And what I'm emphasizing here is truth. Again, cutting aside the deliverer, the frail messenger who walks with feet of clay. The emphasis he puts on here is the truth. Receive the Word implanted. The Word. Not the delivery. The Word. Not the personality. The truth. Not their preaching voice. Not their tire, the lack of the tire, the ambience of the room, or the lights, and the on and on it goes here in our day and age, doesn't it? All these secondary, superfluous, meaningless, superficial, tangential issues have nothing to do with reality. It's listening to the truth of the Word of God like we read out of Ezra. They didn't care about anything else. Man, they just heard the Word of God and there was a reformation. Uh, with that, let's look at one more great example. Go to Second Kings. That's kind of towards the front of your Bible. So after the first five books, you've got First Samuel, Second Samuel, First Kings, Second Kings. In Second Kings uh, chapter 22, here is a wonderful illustration in the Old Testament in about 600 B.C. Uh, the boy king, his name was Josiah, and he became king at age eight. Was appointed by God in the uh, Israel's economy, covenant of Israel. Josiah became king at age 8, and then he grew into maturity, and around age 20, significant thing happened. But before Isaiah, uh, Josiah became king, for 55 years, his predecessor, king of Israel, was a horrible king. His name was Manasseh. He was horrible. He was a murderous thug. He was a pagan. He desecrated the temple of God and let it just d- dilapidate and fill it with all kinds of idols that he desecrated with it. Probably hid uh, any scripture he could find, if not burned it. Because he knew he was violating God's word. That was Manasseh. So he came just before Josiah. So Josiah actually loves God, contrary to his predecessor. And there's a great reformation that takes place in the days of Josiah. It's given to us uh, in 2 Kings chapter 22, starting at verse 8. So now Josiah is about age 20, and he's given orders. He's got more maturity. He loves God. Uh, He's got some assistance. One is named Hilkiah, verse 8. Then Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the scribe. Oh, so Josiah sends Hilkiah to the temple. It's if he can actually get in there. It's such a dump. See what's in there. Uh, Hilkiah the high priest goes to the temple and then uh, he finds something and he said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. It was more like, I found the Bible! You won't believe it! The Scriptures, the Old Testament, we haven't seen it in decades. He is excited. Which tells you, Josiah, the king and servant of the nation of Israel, did not have a Bible. Isn't that amazing? Didn't have the written Scriptures. Manasseh, like I said, probably banished it. Verse 9, And Shaphan the scribe came to the king Josiah and brought back word to the king and said, Your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the house and the temple and have delivered it into the hand of the workers who have uh, the oversight of the house of the Lord. Moreover, Shaphan the scribe told the king Josiah, saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it in the presence of the king. He just starts reading Scripture to King Josiah, who's probably never heard anything like it. And look at his reaction. Josiah is overwhelmed. Verse 11, And it came about when, ki- when the king heard the words of the book of the law, that he tore his clothes. Wow. He was overwhelmed with, with grief, with the truth of the word, with the newness of it, the freshness of it, and also the conviction of what God had said in His word. 
And he's the king, he's the leader, he's responsible, and he's seen what the country has become in total violation of God's standard. He rips his clothes. That's just a beautiful reaction of sensitivity to the truth of the Word of God when it was heard. It's awesome. Verse 18. God loves this response. He blesses Josiah as a result. Remember that verse I read in Revelation 1-3? Blessed is the one who hears and does. Well, here's a blessing. We'll close with this. King Josiah was blessed by his receptivity, his humility, his enthusiasm for the truth of the Word of God. And every single one of us who knows Jesus Christ can be blessed in the same way. Blessed is the one who hears spiritual truth. Verse 18, But to the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus shall you say to him, Thus says the Lord God of Israel. So God starts talking to Josiah regarding the words which you have heard. Verse 19, Because your heart was tender. There it is. Because your heart was tender towards the truth of the Word of God. As opposed to your heart was critical, hardened, dismissive. Your heart was tender. And you humbled yourself. See, that's the key. That's the key to a soft heart right there, humility. Josiah was that, tender and humble. You're going to get a blessing. You humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they should become a desolation and a curse. And you have torn your clothes and wept before me. I truly have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your uh, grave in peace. Neither shall your eyes see all the evil which I am about to bring on this place. Awesome, wonderful blessing from God based on a humble, receptive attitude towards the truth of the Word of God. So that's our challenge for all of us. This, this day, this week, reminding ourselves, looking at ourselves, do we hunger and thirst after righteousness, longing for the Bible, the truth of Scripture, as a baby longs for milk? And do we do it with the right attitude? And do we pursue it as one of the greatest priorities in life? If you do and you live your life like that as a Christian, God promises He will grow you and He will bless you. And He's true to His Word and His promise, isn't He? Amen. Let's go ahead and pray and thank God for the precious truth He has given us in His Word. Father, we do thank You for our time together. Thank You for the truth of James. Thank You for preserving it through faithful saints over the years and also Your Holy Spirit supernaturally. That We have the privilege to, to read it, to be reminded of it. God, uh, we are a sinful people. So easily entangled in our own sin, our own desires. Stir up Your Holy Spirit in our hearts. Help us to acknowledge our sin, confess our sin, forsake our sin, become accountable for it to somebody. And with Your Spirit, keep us soft, keep us tender, keep us teachable. God, keep us humble because we can't humble ourselves. And as a result, we want to be receptive vessels for Your truth wherever You dispense it so that we might grow in grace and also give You glory, which is the greatest priority. As we commit our time to You, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Dr. McManus is an author, seminary professor, and pastor teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship. For more information about Dr. McManus, other messages, or resources, please visit gbfsv.org or call us at 650-630-0009.